Um, yeah, so we're in uh, Psalm 32, and uh, you can open your Bibles up there. It'll help you follow along, although we've got um, mostly everything up on the screen as well. <clears throat> Psalm 32 possibly titled in your Bible, as it is in mine, The Joy of Forgiveness. The Joy of Forgiveness. It's a psalm of David, a contemplation. It's been said that the psalms are the soul's medicine chest. You know, a, a sweet salve, a sweet balm to the soul. And uh, that's certainly been the case in my life. Uh, just, you know, uh, the ministry often adds weight and pressure uh, like so many of your jobs do and I just find myself overwhelmed uh, in coming to the Psalms and just finding just a soothing aloe there for my heart and for my mind and, and, uh, and that's the case for us today. I believe that the Lord has brought many of you to this place to hear this Psalm uh, brought to bear on your heart by the Spirit of God. As David will share by the Holy Spirit the detrimental effects of unconfessed sin. First of all, we, we have a great blessing in our text today. An unparalleled blessing. As the psalmist had been living in the realm of unrepentant sin, the Holy Spirit brings him to the place of confession and repentance and forgiveness that causes him to be oh so very happy and you know that's not a, a one-time thing for David it wasn't a one-time thing for David nor will it be a one-time thing for us a repentant heart is the continual action of a Christian Martin Luther said it well when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said repent he willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance just daily you know hourly just times of seeing darkness in our life seeing the flesh in our life and confessing that before the Lord and confessing that to each other repenting from that the background of our text is 2 Samuel chapter 11 and 12 and Psalm 51 where we have the story of David. It was the time of the year when the kings go out to battle. And yet we see that David this year didn't go out to battle. He stayed at home. All of his mighty men of valor took off out to the battlefield and he stayed at home. Hanging out on his rooftop, looking over the city. And what did he see but a beautiful woman bathing on a roof across the street. My good friend Sandy Adams always said that time plus opportunity equals trouble. You know, if you don't have time in your life, then, you know, you're probably not going to get in trouble. If you don't have any opportunity in your life to get in trouble, but you got tons of time, probably not going to get in trouble. But man, if you've got time... All the other men are going to work and you're just hanging out at home. There's opportunity. Man, there's going to be trouble. And that's the story of David is that he saw this woman and that wasn't the sin. It wasn't the sin that, oh, oh man, you know, whoa, whoa, like I got to get out of here. Let's, you know, 
You know, tell my servants, like, man, don't let me go upstairs for the rest of the day, you know. Um, but, you know, he, he looked and he craved and he began to lust and he began to meditate. And then he asked his servant, who is that gal over there? And the servant tried to reason with him. You know, that, that's, that's someone's daughter. You know, what was his name? Abishai or something? I'm blanking on the name. Ahithophel. That's Ahithophel's daughter. And, and that's Uriah's wife. And this servant's trying to, you know, say like, this isn't just a, a piece of flesh over there. This is someone's daughter, someone's wife. Stay away. And he says, bring her to me. And he lies with her, commits adultery with her. She is with child. And so David then begins to scheme on how he can cover up this sin. And he brings Uriah, the husband, back from the battlefield and says, you know, hey, why don't you just take a break and go into your wife and, you know, relax and get refreshed. And Uriah, mighty man of valor, loyal servant, says, how can I go and lie with my wife while all the king's men are out in battle? No, I'm going to sleep here at, the, at your door outside on the floor. And so David, oh, okay, so that didn't work. You know, how am I going to get them together? And so he gets Uriah drunk and tries to get Uriah to go. And no, Uriah won't, won't go lie with his wife. He's a faithful servant. And so finally David says, the only way I'm going to solve this problem is I'm going to send Uriah out into the thick of battle. And when it's a hot moment in the battle, I'm going to have everybody else in the force retreat and leaving Uriah out there in the midst of the archers, uh, he'll be killed. And so David's sin takes him deeper than he ever thought he'd go, further than he'd ever thought he'd go, made him do things he never thought he'd do, and made him pay a price that he never thought he'd have to pay. And the rest of David's life is marked from consequences, from adultery, from deceit, and from murder. Now, after about a year's time, the Lord comes and confronts David through Nathan the prophet and says, you've been in sin, you've been uh, in adultery, you are, you're a murderer. And because of that, the Lord is going to take this child that's from this uh, affair. He's going to take him from you and breaks David and causes him to go through a time of repentance. And that's when David wrote Psalm 51, an incredible psalm of brokenness, an incredible psalm of repentance and that's a whole Bible study for a whole nother time. And where we're at today, just as we're working through the Psalms on Wednesday night and we're in between books right now on Sunday morning, the Lord's got us in Psalm 32, which is the Psalm that David wrote after he'd repented, after the Lord began healing and bringing restoration from these times of sin in his life. And he's able to write advice to people who are struggling with sin, advice to people that are covering over their sin. Don't do what I did. Don't do what I did. And he's able to give us the joy that comes from forgiveness and repentance. And so uh, we just look at our verse today. Verse 1. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. The word blessed there means how very happy. How very happy. The psalmist loves that word. He uses it 36 times. Oh, how happy. Happy are you in this. Happy are you in this. Happy are you in this. Psalm 1, the first psalm, speaks of blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. All right? You know, so David starts out with these happy things. Man, you want to be happy? And that is found in relationship with Jesus. 
That's where true happiness is found. Augustine would write, Oh God, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. That's where happiness is found. It's found in relationship with Jesus Christ. And relationship with Jesus Christ is found when transgressions are forgiven. When our crimes, when our offenses, when our rebellions, when our times where we have crossed the line, David knew he'd crossed the line. David knew the law of the Lord. He knew what the law said about adultery. He knew what the law said about covetousness. He knew what the law said about murder. He knew he had crossed that line line and had transgressed he had trespassed the lord's perfect word and he knows man you can be so happy if you have those trespasses those transgressions forgiven the word forgiven means to have them carried away to have them lifted off and just right now where you're at in the secret place of your heart is the lord Bringing to the forefront of your mind sin, transgression, rebellion, crime, crimes against the Lord. Times that you've crossed the line. You know you've crossed the line. You know what God says about that. He's bringing that right now to your forefront. And I believe he's brought you here today so you can know the happiness of having that lifted off of you. Lifted off of you, carried away from you. He says, blessed is he whose sin is covered. You probably know that the word sin comes from uh, an English word dealing with archery. Archery. And when the archer would go and he'd, uh, what do you say, cock the bow? (laughs) Kind of a pro, but you know, that's what I meant. Whatever, either way. In Lakeview, we say, cock the bow. (laughs) As he would release, if the arrow hit anywhere on the target that wasn't dead center bullseye, the judge of the competition would throw up the flag or whatever and say, sin, sin, he missed the mark. Anywhere, Say, say the arrow goes and it hits the second ring or the third ring or somewhere on the block. Well, I did pretty good this time. I hit the block, you know. That would be the guy that cocks his bow saying that. (laughs) If it was anywhere but red dead center bullseye, the judge would say, sin, you've missed the mark. And that's where we in the English language get that word, missing the mark. Romans tells us that every one of us has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Every one of us is, I'm going to do my best you know, bing, you know, some of us completely missed the block. Some of us, you know, we hit the paper. Some of us four rows in. But every one of us has missed the bullseye. And so every one of us has sinned, missed the mark. Ephesians would tell us that we are by nature transgressors. It's at the core and the kernel of who we are. We are by nature sinners, children of wrath. That's who we are by nature. That is our sinful, fallen condition. All of us are transgressors. All of us are sinners. Inside of each one of us, 
myself included, there's an internal bias, a moral perversity, a corruption of our nature. Look at the little cute boy back there that Dustin's with, and think of all the babies we've got in here. We've got some other babies, and you know, a little Titus, my Titus, a little whitey tidy as I call him. So precious. Corrupt. Plagued with sin. Internal bias against the Lord. A rebel without a cause is Titus. He is a child of wrath. That's bad news. But the good news is the Ephesians passage goes right on to say how Jesus has come to rescue us from that fallen condition. You know, that burden on your back, the stain in your heart, it can be removed. And David found that to be true. He found that a transgression can be lifted off and carried away. He found that a sin of missing the mark of God's perfect, perfect glory can be covered. And the word covered speaks of being clothed over. And when you read the Old Testament and the day of atonement, the day of the year when the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies with the blood from the lamb that had been slain and he would make the offering and set the blood upon the mercy seat, a picture of the blood of Jesus, the blood of the pure and spotless lamb sitting on the mercy seat of heaven between the cherubim, atoning for our sins. The sins of the people of Israel would be covered over that day. And atonement from the day of atonement in the Hebrew is the word kofar and it means a covering. It's the day of covering. And that goes clear back to the day of Adam and Eve when that first sin took place. When they saw that they were naked and they were ashamed and they were hiding. They tried to cover over their own sins with their own Ways that were very itchy and revealing. And the Lord said, that just won't do. And it says that the Lord made them coverings of skin to clothe them. Where do you guys think that the skin came from? An animal. An animal had to die to cover over the sins of Adam and Eve. And that was the that was a type, that was a picture of, for the rest of the scripture, the Lord is drawing illustrations for us of how our sins will be covered over from somebody's death, the death of Jesus, the death of the pure and spotless lamb. And it was there when that lamb died upon the cross, stretched out upon the Roman implement of execution, that Jesus, our high priest, offered a better sacrifice than the blood of bulls and goats when he offered up himself once and for all, the book of Hebrews tells us. And the blood of this pure and spotless high priest doesn't need to be offered regularly as the Old Testament sacrifices had to be done just one time. So potent of a sacrifice was it that it brought purity and cleanliness and it didn't just cover over our sins and try to kind of hide our sins it completely took our sins away that's the perfect fulfillment of what David is writing about 
When our sins are covered, it means Jesus is going to do more than just cover our sin. He's going to take them away from us. That's good news for me. I don't know if anybody else is like, oh yeah, I've done some things. It's good news for me, and I hope you'd be honest enough to say, this is sounding pretty good for me too, Rory. I've gone some places. I've said some things. I've heard some words. I've touched this. I've been there. I've chosen that. And my heart is stained. And my back is burdened. Good news, Prineville. I can be lifted off of you today and carried away. Jesus said, it is finished. Verse 2, blessed is the man. How happy is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Again, how happy is the man when the Lord is not imputing iniquity. This word impute is an accounting term. Some of you don't care. I'm married to a CPA, so I love it. It's an accounting term. You learn to love the things they love, right? Tax return. It's another one for you. Impute is an accounting term, meaning to add into someone's accounts or to charge their account or to credit something to their account. And so when it says, how happy is the person that the Lord does not impute iniquity, David is saying, you are so very happy when the Lord has not put guilt and punishment from sin into your account. That is a very happy thing, that the Lord hasn't added perversity into your account, that the Lord hasn't added how crooked you've been your whole life into your spiritual account. Romans chapter 4 verses 2 through 8 tell us that if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to brag about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. But to him who does not work, but believes on him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is accounted for righteousness. Just as David also described the blessedness of the man to whom God imputes righteousness apart from works. And then he quotes our psalm. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And so Paul the apostle would go back to our psalm, Psalm 32, and say, Hey, if you're trying to work your way to heaven, I've got news for you. You can never work enough. If your plan is to just try to do more good than you've done bad by the time you die and hope that on your deathbed all your good things have outweighed your bad, you are still going to die in your sins. And he uses the argument here that, you know what, if you're trying to earn your way to heaven, that would make God your debtor. And God is a debtor to no man. God owes no man anything. But he has made a way for you to be cleansed and forgiven and have eternal life with him. It's through his perfect son coming. 
living the perfect life that you could never live, not on your best day, dying the death that you were supposed to die as a substitute for you, and letting all of his perfect good works come into your account. It's accounted to you for righteousness. But all of your iniquity and trespasses and sin and missing the mark and rebellion and crookedness and perversity, it's added onto Jesus' account. He bore it on his shoulders at the cross. One man said, the God who gives us up to our sins in Romans 1 gave himself for our sins in Romans 4. Romans 1, you are so depraved. You are that child of wrath on your best day. You are crooked. And God has given the world up to unrighteousness and ungodliness. But the same God that gave the world up to sin has given himself for our sins so that we could be forgiven. This wonderful truth of imputation, this accounting term, where all of my unrighteousness has been taken out of my account and laid upon Jesus at the cross. Second uh, Corinthians chapter 5, verse 27, so, sorry, verse 21 says, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. I love this doctrine. I love, love this truth of imputation. He made Jesus to become sin. Jesus never knew sin, never, never did sin. And all of Rory's filthiness has been laid upon him. And the beautiful news is that Jesus didn't leave me at a, you know, take me from a negative 3,000 and take me at a zero. Okay, try again now. No, he said, you could just, you are a hopeless case. I'm just going to go ahead and give you my righteousness. My cup runneth over with the righteousness of God because Jesus has put it into my account. So Paul quotes David from Psalm 32. Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity. And then in the New Testament, we know that it goes farther than that. He not only doesn't impute iniquity because of Jesus, but he imputes righteousness. Where are you today? Do you have the righteousness of Jesus Christ filling you and overflowing you, not only covering your sins, but taking away your sins, bubbling up out of you so now you can pursue righteousness, you can know the righteous one, you desire righteous things, you hate wickedness. Isaiah 53, 6 says, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. All of those things that the Lord is bringing to your mind right now, he has made a way for you to be forgiven. But by faith, you've got to let it go. You've got to release it and let it go to Jesus. And by faith, you've got to receive the righteousness that comes from Jesus. David also says that you are very happy when not only do you not have iniquity in your account, but at the ver uh, our verse here, verse 2 closes, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Deceit meaning negligence. And what does this negligence look like? Verse 3 tells us, when I kept silent, my bones grew old through my groaning all the day long. 
So you're a very happy person, David says, if in your spirit you are not neglecting the practice of confessing and repenting your sin. If you are keeping silent, taking no action against your sin, making no moves against your sin and repenting your sin and bringing them into the light so they could be exposed and dealt with, that is deceit, that is negligence, that is being a slacker in your relationship with the Lord. Keeping silent causes our bones to grow old through all of our groaning all day long. Our soul will roar and scream if we fail to confess and repent. For day and night, verse 4 says, your hand was heavy upon me. My vitality was turned into the drought of summer. The groaning of the skeleton from verse 3 shows us why. Because day and night, just the Lord is powerfully convicting, not letting David go and letting the sin out and confessing it, turning from it. Day and night, there's no peace. The power of the Lord is just upon him. There is weightiness upon him. The Lord is caring for him by chastening David night and day and night and day. And probably for a year in David's life, night and day, there was just this torment the powerful hand of the Lord was not allowing David to get away with this base, depraved sin. And praise God that he does that. Revelation 3.19 says, As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore be zealous and repent. The Lord saw David as a man after his own heart. The Lord loved David. And as many as the Lord loves, he will rebuke, he will correct, he will cause the weighty hand of the Lord to just be powerfully convicting. The psalmist says in Psalm 6, Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, nor chasten me in your hot displeasure. Have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. O Lord, heal me, for my bones are troubled. My soul also is greatly troubled. So, David again saying that, man, when I'm in a place where just I'm regarding sin in my heart, I'm just letting it go on, I'm not grieving over it, sorrowful over it, battling against it, bringing it into the light so it could be exposed, so it could be chopped off at the root and dealt with, my bones will be troubled, my soul will be greatly troubled. But you, Lord, how long? Return, O Lord, deliver me. Oh, save me for your mercy's sake. For in death there's no remembrance of you in the grave. Who will give you thanks? I am weary with my groaning. All night I make my bed swim. I drench my couch with my tears. And so all of this is at a time when David is keeping silent. He's just covering over this sin with his own self-righteousness and he's justifying it and I can do this, I'm the king and you know, I'm kind of making it right here and you know, and I'm, we'll, we'll, deal, we'll do okay, we'll do okay, we'll just, we'll make this happen, I'll bring Bathsheba into my house, she's a poor widow now and I'll take this child as my own, even though it is my own, but I'll, you know, I'll, I'll work things out here. And he's trying to 
heap up his own righteousness to cover his sin. But man, his own spirit's not letting that happen. And the Lord's hand is weightily upon him. There's groaning happening. There's bones growing old night and day. He's swimming in his bed. Have you ever been there? You know you've sinned. You know you showed up past curfew. You know you ran into that car and drove off without leaving a note. You know, whatever it is, you know. And man, you're just swimming in your bed. You can't sleep. You're just crying and sweating. And what am I going to do? It's been said that the Spanish Inquisition, with all its tortures, was nothing compared to the inquest which conscience holds within the heart. Man, when we are just having the heavy hand of the Lord upon us, that's a gift from the Lord that we should thank him for, that he loves us enough to not let us get away with it. And I believe that that's where the whole perseverance of the saints things comes in. Why John says that those who love the Lord cannot keep practicing sin. Because the Lord won't let him. His heavy hand will be upon them. Oh, I can't do, I can't do this anymore. You know? And finally, the Lord will bring us to the breaking point. The breaking point of verse 5. I acknowledged my sin to you. And my iniquity I have not hidden. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Say law. Stop and think about that and ponder that. And so what does action look like? What is not slackness? What is not deceit? It's acknowledging our sin before the Lord. Bringing our sin into the light. Action is not hiding our sin. It's revealing it. It's letting it become known and made aware. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. In the New Testament Greek, the word confess has this generic meaning of acknowledging something to be the case. It's saying, this is sin. I see it, Lord. I see that you see it. We see it. I acknowledge that this isn't just something that's okay or something that just happened. It's something that I did. It's something that I've done. I've chose to do it. I've imputed iniquity into my account. I have failed willingly, maybe by accident, maybe willingly, unknown sins, known sins. It's sin. You see it as sin, I see it as sin, and I'm laying it before you, bringing it into the light. The Bible says that we are to confess the Lord Jesus Christ. That's confessing that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. Your word says that Jesus is the Messiah, that he's the Son of God, that he came in the flesh, that he's Lord, that he died and rose again and ascended into heaven. I acknowledge, I confess, Jesus Christ is Lord. He's my Lord. He's the Lord. And Jesus says, if you confess me before men, I'll confess you before the Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father in heaven. In the same token, confession of Jesus Christ is linked immediately to confession of sins. In fact, when John the Baptist was baptizing in Matthew 3, it says they were baptized by John in the Jordan, confessing their sins. 
When Simon Peter saw Jesus, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. These are people that are coming to the Lord, seeing his holiness, seeing their depravity, that they are children of wrath, full of sin and depravity, and they're falling down before the Lord, and they're saying, I'm a sinful man, Lord. I'm not worthy to even be around you. Depart from me. The prodigal son, when he came back from his little excursion out to the city, spending all of his inheritance... The prodigal son, when he came back, said, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer to be worthy to be called your son. The prodigal son confessing his sin before the Lord. Jesus tells a story, a parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. He says that the Pharisee stands there in the temple and talks about how good he is and how righteous he is and that he fasts this many times a day and he does this and that and he doesn't do that. And I'm not like that guy over there. And he points over at the tax collector, the wicked man of that day. And then the wicked man says, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, who does the Lord receive? The man that's pompous and arrogant and self-righteous and look what I've done and I've done this. Or the guy that knows that he is filthy knows that he has no hope, spiritually bankrupt. As Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit because all they've got is to fall before the throne of God and say, be merciful to me, a sinner. That's what David has done. He's confessed his sin before the Lord and it says, you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Proverbs tells us in 28.13, he who covers his sins or keeps hiding his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and forsakes them will have mercy. The psalmist says in 38.18, for I will declare my iniquity, I will be in anguish over my sin. In 2 Corinthians 7, verse 10, Paul says that godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation, not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. David was brought to a place of brokenness before the Lord, where he saw his spiritual condition by the Holy Spirit And he was sorrowful in anguish, a godly sorrow that led to repentance for his salvation. And you know, there's many of you here today who might say, you know, I've I've confessed my sin before and I've been working on it. And, you know, and I would just ask you, would you say that godly sorrow would be a mark of your attitude towards your sin? Or would you say it would be worldly sorrow? where you're still covering it up, where you're telling half-truths, where you're not dealing with it and bringing it into the light, chopping off the hand that causes you to sin, gouging out the eye that causes you to sin, bringing it before the Lord. If not, I would say you've been in a season of worldly sorrow that's just fake and phony and leads to death. And you can pray right now that God would bring godly sorrow over your sin. 1 John chapter 1 is a classic passage when when you're in Psalm 32. You go to 1 John chapter 1. 
where it says in verses 5 through 10, this is the message which we've heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, if you're sitting here today and on any level saying that I have no sin, I have not sinned, I am not a sinner, you're deceiving yourself. The truth is not in you. I believe even this morning, every single one of us can have the Lord search our heart and show us iniquity, even from this morning, bring deep conviction for the way that we talked to our wife and kids on the way to church today, the way that we were played the hypocrite when we walked in here and acted like everything's okay. You know, I bet the Lord could just show like, these are things that you need to be sorrowful over and repent from. They need to be confessed. Now notice the beautiful promise of him being faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. It's all based on the first two words of this verse 9. If we, if we confess our sins. Siddler Baxter, a great preacher, wrote, what we have in this verse is a very large door swinging on a very small hinge. The small hinge is the if, and the large door is confession and repentance. Failure to do our part in relationship to that verse will find us in a similar condition as the psalmist. So there is a, everything we've read up to this point speaks of us coming before the Lord, the Lord God, in the beauty of his holiness, realizing our spiritual bankruptcy, that we've got nothing in our account to give but sin and rebellion and perversity. That's all I've got, Lord. I need you to take that from me, put it on Jesus and what he's done on the cross, and put in me your righteousness confessing our sin before the Lord. This is vertical. This is between us and the Lord. You don't need to go to a priest. You don't need to go regularly to a priest and have him tell you how many Hail Marys to do and have you, you know, you have a to-do list that you got to go do now to be forgiven. First John 1 John 1.9 says, we confess our sins to the Lord and he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us. But James chapter 5 brings another aspect to it that we're to confess our sins to one another on a horizontal aspect. And we're to pray for one another that we could be healed. God hasn't saved us to be lone rangers and lone wolves and just go deal with everything in our lives by ourselves. God has saved us into a community of believers and Christians who sharpen us and help us and we lift one another up. And one of the ways that that happens in a local body, in a local church, is through confessing our sins to one another and praying for one another that we would not only be forgiven, that's been done, but that we would be healed of this. How's your confession life? How's your confession this way? 
Are you still covering that up and keeping silent before the Lord? I'm not going to deal with that right now. I believe today God has brought you here so that you can just let it all out. I did this, that, went there, did that, kissed her. Looked at this, drank that, smoked that, injected this, lied about that, snatched that, stealed this. 50 years ago I did that and I've been holding it down and now I just want to bring it before you, Lord. It's a beautiful thing. But you know what? Something so beautiful and one of the most often places that we see it is in our core groups. These are ministries, discipleship groups that have been designed at this church so that we could just have deep relationship with brothers and sisters. And week after week, we're just laying our souls bare before one another. Confessing stuff to one another. Being healed. Crying with one another. Weeping with one another. Grieving with one another. Standing in the gap for one another. And then walking through life in restoration from those things. He's confessed his sins to the Lord. Spurgeon calls this time in David's life that he's come to the silencing of his three-headed dog before the gates of hell. And it was there that he found the Lord doing three things in his life. That the Lord covered David's sin, the Lord canceled David's sin, and the Lord cleansed David's sin. And if you would come before the Lord today in humility and brokenness, even asking him right now for godly sorrow that would bring repentance and a turning away from that, the Lord will cover your sin. He will cancel your sin. And he will cleanse your sin. Isaiah 61 says that he'll clothe us with the garments of salvation. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake. One Puritan preacher said, when God forgives our sin, he remits the penalty. Our sin is cleansed through the blood of Jesus Christ. Before sin is forgiven, it must be repented of. And God, having forgiven all sin, will call it no more to repentance. Verse 6 says in our psalm today, For this cause, everyone who is godly shall pray to you in a time when you may be found. Surely in a flood of great waters they shall not come near him. Because God forgives and cleanses sin and removes them from us as far as the east is from the west, everyone who is godly will cry out to the Lord while he could still be found. And the beautiful thing is today, Hebrews says three different times in chapters three and four of Hebrews, today, if you will hear his voice, don't harden your heart in the rebellion. While it is still called today, come before the Lord. While it is still called today. And Hebrews says there remains a rest for the people of God today. So don't wait till tomorrow. Don't wait till the next day. We don't have those things guaranteed. Today is the day of salvation. While it is called today, while there's still time, repent before the Lord, confess, be cleansed, come in the light as he is in the light. Have fellowship with him restored while it is still called today because we don't have tomorrow. And when you come to him, verse 7 says, you'll find a hiding place. The Lord will be our hiding place and preserve us from trouble 
He'll surround us with songs of deliverance. Verse 8, I will instruct you. Now we have the Lord speaking to David. David, I'm going to instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will guide you with my eye. Man, when we are in the place of David where we're seeing sin and we're being made aware of our sin in our life and we're hating it and sorrowing over it and, and, and disgusted by it and grieved over it and bringing it out and confessing it and turning from it and repenting from it, the Lord says, man, if you're going to be living a life like that, I'm going to just guide you with my eye in how to live. Romans chapter 8 speaks to that. He says in Romans 8, if you live according to the flesh you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. And then it goes on to say, for as many as are led by the spirit of God, these are the sons of God. The people that are the children of God, they are going to have the Lord leading us here, here. This isn't some abstract like, oh, we were led to go over to, you know, Burger King today or whatever. Like, the Lord does that, but that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about the Lord, the Spirit of God will be leading you in how to get out of sin and how to kill sin in your life, how to repent of sin. He will guide you with the leading of his eye. And he's saying to you today, don't be like that horse that I've got to put the bit in the bridle on and lead him very painfully. We all know those days, right? When you go out to get your horse and he's running all over the field and you're walking over to this side and you're hiding the halter, you know, and you're walking over this side and you can't get him in a corner. You can't hide him. You got to go back and get some oats. And you're like, oh, come here, little guy, twilight, come here. You know, and chasing, chasing, chasing. You got to watch the YouTube video of the dude out there and he cracks a whip and his two stallions come running through the field and just get in his horse trailer. I don't know how he did that, but... That's how the Lord desires us to be. Don't make me get the bit, the bridle. Don't make me put the spurs on. It's going to be painful. I don't want to correct you in that way. Just let our relationship just be where you sit on me bareback, no reins, no saddle, no nothing. And you kind of go like this and the horse goes this way. You kind of go like this and the horse goes this way. You go like this and he jumps, you know, whatever. <laughs> Sensitivity to the spirit of God. He wants to bring you into a relationship like that. As verse 9 said, don't be like that horse or the mule. Have no understanding. You've got to be harnessed with the bit and the bridle or else they do not come near you. Verse 10 says, many sorrows shall be to the wicked, but he who trusts in the Lord, mercy shall surround him. Notice the contrast of our passage. Those who are godly are convicted of their sin with the heavy hand of the Lord. They are active in acknowledging and confessing their sin to the Lord and to each other in repentance. And they are blessed. They are so very happy to have their sins lifted off of them and carried away. Mercy surrounds them. But the wicked, on the other hand, will be sorrowful. They'll be tossing and turning in their bed, making their bed swim because they do not have the cleansing of sin, but the accrual of sin into their account. All of this leads us to verse 11, our final verse today. And Adam and, and uh, Eric, you can come up where it says, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, you righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. 
I mean, David has just taken us on a journey through his own life. When I was silent and I was trying to cover my own sins and I was hiding it and I was quiet about it and, and I tried to deal with it myself and my own righteousness, man, it was a brutal, horrible time in my life. My bones were aching, my soul was groaning. But man, when I acknowledged it before the Lord and confessed it before the Lord, oh, there was cleansing and healing and relationship restored with my God. And God wants that relationship with us where we just, we know him intimately. And those who've been brought into that restored relationship with God will be glad. They'll be happy as David's been putting it. They will rejoice and you guys, I just want us, I just wish we could just, Lord, bring it to bear on my mind. What is this type of rejoicing that David's doing? When you read the Bible, I mean, this guy, let it go. He's just like, I have got so much joy that you've forgiven me for all of that that I did. And rejoice in the original language, it even speaks of twirling around violently. I mean, just woo, 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 woo. That guy is so stoked to be forgiven of his sins. And we know from the whole of Scripture that there's decency, there's order, there's all of these things. We don't just get crazy here at Calvary Chapel. But Lord, by the Spirit of God, forgive us, cleanse us, show us our sins so that we can confess it, so that we can acknowledge it to you and to one another and be cleansed and be free and no longer have the inquisition of our conscience on our heels all the time. I'm done with that. I'm cleansed. It's over. Jesus has taken it. And my soul is glad. You guys can go ahead and put your things aside and we can just move to prayer right now. Maybe you would just, just take a posture of prayer and maybe even right now you would just let the Lord, ask the Lord to just open up your ears right now and Open up your heart to just all that's been spoken. You know, a hard passage to teach. Should be so easy, but man, even coming down here today, just technical issues and glitches and difficulties. And she felt like, man, the enemy does not want us to grow as a church in this practice and that is so important, that is linked so intimately to being Christians and confessing Jesus as we confess our sins. And he wants, the enemy, the devil wants you to just kind of come in here and, and just, you know, just try to do your best to get through this longest service I've ever been through in my life. And, oh, just, we got things to do this afternoon. And just the enemy wants you to just be in that place of just anxious to get out of here and man, it's just my prayer that he would just the lord would just quiet your heart right now and you'll see that god and his provision has brought us to psalm 32 today so that we could even know man i'm supposed to just be real before the lord i'm supposed to be real before the presence of god and just allow the light of god to just pierce deep into my heart and expose the little nooks and crannies, even the things that I don't even know I've been doing. And not only sins that I've been committing, but sins that I've been omitting. 
not doing what he's telling me to do. And God wants to bring us as a church into a place where we would trust him and believe him for just openness with one another, that we could not only have the forgiveness of sins, but the healing from sins. We're going to have communion, and we're going to move to a place of communion, but before that, man, let's just allow the Lord by his Spirit to search our hearts like a radar, like an x-ray, like an MRI scan, and let's just allow him to scan us and just see if there be any wicked way in us, any sin that is not dealt with, anything that's not been confessed. Lord, we just pray right now that you would help us to trust you. Lord, that you are a good God, that you are a merciful God. We can look at David's testimony and see a guy that had committed adultery and got a guy drunk and then murdered the guy and then tried to act like everything was okay for a year. And on the, on the end of this trial, on the end of this season, he was able to see, say, hear it from me. It is so good to come clean. It is so good to receive mercy and forgiveness. And for you, just where you're at today, just by faith, you can ask Jesus to take all of your sin out of your account and put it upon Jesus. And you can ask the Lord right now to take all of Jesus's obedience and place it into your account that you would be found righteous before him. going to have the uh, core group leaders and the elders come forward and just be up here as a prayer team today during these last songs that just want to be a an ear for you and a brother and a sister that we could just be there to help bear your burdens Galatians 6 says to help bear the the stuff that you've been doing and just to help bring you into repentance and you can come forward this morning and you know this is one of those things that you might just you know your flesh would never in a million years go forward to a core group leader or an elder to a pastor and share just this is what I've been doing and it is killing me my vitality is as dry as the drought in the summer right now I'm dying I am groaning my bones are breaking this unconfessed sin, unrepentant sin. I know the Lord wants me to be free today. Will you pray for me? Just our leaders want to be up here for you today. And we would just encourage you, don't let this time pass. As the psalm today said, while the time is still the time, while there's still a chance, come and Grab hold of the forgiveness of God. While today is called today, come be healed, come be cleansed.